Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. classics and good classics i'm derek um and i am just having a real hard time reconciling what happened in that previous chapter um i know that the women that were in that room with those security guards had autonomy like they had the choice to get in that car and go to this mansion that they thought was gs's mansion and they had the choice of whether or not they wanted to be denigrated by security guards that they would have never talked to because when they were like, you need to do this and this, they could have been like, fuck you. And, and, you know, I'm not participating in this. It's below me and, and, and not done it. But at the same time, it just hurts my heart. And it's not something, it's not anything against soldier, you know, it just hurts my heart to see folks be manipulated and taken advantage of to um, get something that I'm still certain that uh, Winter didn't get. I'm still certain she didn't sleep with GS. Um, and so to have this debacle happen is just sad to me. And it, it, it really does, it hurt my heart. Like, it hurt my heart. If y'all have thoughts, uh, the voicemail number is 916-633-1537. We'll be doing a um, live discussion um, this Saturday at uh, 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time um, on Zoom. You can email us at wretchedandratchet at gmail.com. And you can hit us up on Twitter at uh, Ratchet Book Club. With no further ado, here's chapter 15 of The Coldest Winter Ever. The Jamaican spot around the corner got to break my last 20. Two patties, ginger beer, and two blunts. The speed of my thoughts increased, then doubled. I had to make a move soon. According to my calculations, G.S. should be coming around any day now. It was unlike him to let four days go by without showing up. 
Even though I had about five plans brewing, I felt real uneasy. Staying at their house had me out of my element. Like a true Santiago, I could figure something out when my back was against the wall. But this living arrangement didn't leave me a lot of options. First off, I was never alone. Second, I had no one to feed off of. What I needed was a connection. It was like it was right there in front of my face, but I couldn't hook up the main line. Careful thoughts led me to conclude this soldier was cock-blocking. She was interrupting my connection to Midnight and GS. She was clogging up my flow. When I stepped back into the crib, I knocked on Doc's office door. She came to answer the door, opening it up only slightly. My secretary quit. It's real hectic in here. We can't talk now. She closed the door in a hurry. As I turned the knob to Soldier's apartment, I wished that I had not. I walked right into one of those womanhood meetings. I tried to shut the door swiftly, hoping no one saw me. But Lauren pulled the knob from her side and said, sarcastically, Sasha, come on in. I saved the chair just for you. As I saw the girl seated in a circle, Lauren locked eyes with me. She kept making funny faces and gestures because she had busted me trying to get out of a meeting both of us hated. How many of you have figured out the answer to the question, what do I believe? Who knows the answer to the question, what do I live for? Who thought about the question, what would I sacrifice my life for? I'd sacrifice my life for my family, one girl said. In what way? If somebody was messing with my sister, I'd kick their ass. If somebody killed my brother, I'd try my best to kill them, even if it killed me. Oh, are you and your sister tight? Soldier asked, setting the girl up for the kill. We aight, the girl responded. After a small pause, the girl continued. It doesn't matter if my sister and me are tight. The fact is that she's my sister and that if anyone puts their hands on her, then we gonna be thumping. How about for a cause? Would you fight for a cause? The soldier asked. What kind of cause? The girl asked cautiously. Say, for instance, the school in your neighborhood didn't have the right books for the children to learn. Or say, they needed computers, or even healthier food in the cafeteria. The girl seemed to sense that this might be a trap, so she thought before she answered, then blurted out, No, I'm not getting involved in all of that. That's different. If somebody's beating my sister up or cheating her out of money, that's different because that's like an emergency. What about you? Soldier asked the next girl. Um, if my sister was in the school, then maybe I'd do something, the girl said. But why would your sister have to be in the school for you to fight for the school? Because my sister's in my family. My family. I don't know those other kids, she said with attitude. But the school is in your community. Even if your sister isn't in that school... Your sister still has to live in the neighborhood. She'll be affected by whatever happens to those other children. If they don't get a proper education, 
Maybe one of them will bust a cap in your sister's ass. Then what? Silence fell for three seconds. Then the girl said, Then I'll bust a cap in their ass. Everybody laughed. Soldier pulled out a blackboard and started gibbering about how we all a family. We are all connected. We have to look out for one another in our schools and neighborhoods. We have to make sure anybody who makes money in our neighborhoods are accountable to us who live here. As far as I was concerned, this whole topic was a waste of time. The girl was right. If somebody touched family, then family touches them back. If somebody fucks with the money in my pocket, then it's grounds for war. How are we all connected when we all live in separate places? I bet none of these chicks live in an apartment as laced as soldiers. When you get a bill in the mail, it ain't a we thing. When I buy clothes, they ain't for we, they for me. I live for me. I die for me. Luckily, Doc interrupted the meeting. She pulled Lauren out into the hall and I followed. Listen, Lauren, she said, I need a big favor. Can you fill in tomorrow until I hire a new secretary? Lauren didn't look enthusiastic. But I work here, Lauren said. Soldier won't mind if I borrow you. My office is swamped. I'll talk to her. She'll understand. Doc put the pressure on her. All right, then, Lauren agreed. Back inside, Soldier was still grilling the girls. How will we as women get along with one another in our communities if we can't agree on the rules? She asked. What rules? One of the girls questioned. How should we treat each other? How should we speak to one another and about each other? What about our men? How should we treat them? How should we require them to treat us? What could we change about our own actions to cause them to treat all of us better? Will we continue to sleep with each other's men and fight and lie about it? What do we believe? How will we raise our children? What will we tell them? Soldier was shooting those questions like rapid fire. It was clear to me that she wanted to control everything and everybody. That's it. She was a definite control freak. Late that night when GS rang the bell, I beat my record time getting down the stairs. What up, Sash? He said like I had trained to say. You know what's up, nigga. I responded in my playful, sexy way. I knew you'd come around looking for me. Slide me your number so we can talk. You know, just me and you. I smiled wide and stuck my tongue out a little on my teeth. You crazy, he said laughing. Is soldier here? Steamed, my smile turned to tight lips. Stop playing, G.S. You know what's up. We don't have to do this here, but we definitely got to do this. G.S. brushed past me, pushing me to the side. As he headed up the stairs, I ran close behind him and grabbed his shoulder. He jerked his shoulder back, shoving me off. At the top landing of the first flight of stairs, I pushed him. He pushed me back. Look, girl, you want to get fucked? I'll fuck you. But don't trip in her house. I ain't checking for that. In the dark shadows of the stairs, Soldier appeared. With her eyes cutting through the darkness like a cat, she asked, Is everything straight? Looking at G.S. Everything's cool, 
he said in a raspy low voice. Peace, Sasha, soldier said as they left. But in them two words, a lot more was hidden. Upstairs, Lauren was waiting. I was so vexed. I didn't feel like swapping stories with her right now. What's wrong? She asked. Was that GS? What did he say? The motherfucker didn't say nothing. He acted like I was wild now, like he didn't know what was up. Well, what do you expect him to do with Soldier right here in the house? What you got to do is get him one-on-one. -on -one. I already did that, I said. Calm, but angry. Well, did you get his number? No. How about the beeper? Nope, nothing. Damn, you fucked up. How'd that happen? You didn't get nothing? What the hell were you doing up there in this room? I guess we were too busy to talk, I said, laughing half-heartedly. Where'd you go? I asked her. I was with Frankie till about five. Then he said he had to pick up GS, so I told him to drop me off. He didn't drop you here because you weren't here when I got here. Yeah, he dropped me off at Cameron's house. Who's Cameron? This other dude I know. What did Frankie say about that? What could he say? He don't know me. I told him it was my mother's apartment. We laughed again. Frankie won't see me no more no how. Once he told me he was GS's personal bodyguard, I decided to cut his ass off. I don't need my business getting back to my sister. While Lauren slept, I sat up all night. When I heard Soldier coming down the stairs, it was about 4 a.m. I only heard one set of footsteps. I decided to confront her in the darkened hallway with my nightgown on. So, G.S. is your man? I questioned her. No. We're just friends, she said with no hostility. So, how come the two of you are, like, always together? We like each other. But we both know it wouldn't work out. Besides, he's leaving on tour tomorrow. She checked the time and said, I mean today. We were just saying goodbye. Why do you ask? I guess I didn't answer quick enough because she started talking again. I thought you had something for him. She said, like she was pleased with herself for knowing things before they happened. But if I did, it wouldn't matter to you, would it? I asked. It would, because I have feelings for him. But I wouldn't try and stop the two of you because he's not my man. Come on in. We walked into her bedroom. Sit down, she said. G.S. the entertainer. I told myself there's two types of men I'd never marry. A performer or a preacher. Why? I asked, thinking, damn, who said anything about marriage anyway? Because you have to know yourself as a woman. You have to know what you want out of love and what you don't want. You have to know what you expect and what you're unwilling to accept or compromise. Now a million women are in love with GS, or at least they think they are. Whatever girl eventually gets him can never be happy. Her man will be hunted and desired by so many other women. Everyone will see her as the person who's in the way. The person they need to get rid of. A man like G.S. would have to work overtime to convince the woman he chooses that he really loves her. 
that he'll really be faithful. For the most part, he'll probably try. He'll say no to like a thousand girls. Then there'll be just that one. Someone with a beautiful face like yours, Sasha. A perfect figure and pretty toes. And he'll say yes to her. Or let's say he's faithful. Half the time he'll be on the road. You would have to be the kind of woman who doesn't mind being left alone half the time. That's not me. That's not what I want. Then, with the performance, you never know anyway. Her voice lowered to a whisper like this was top secret information. Never know what? A lot of them are bisexual. They look like men, dress like men, talk like men, are surrounded by women, but they sleep with men also. Not GS, I blurted out. You never know, she said. That's why you gotta watch for a long time before you jump in bed with somebody. It's not what they say that gives them away. It's what they do and how they do it. I watch closely. Most things are not what they seem to be in this life. Most people are not what they seem to be in this life. Most people find it extremely hard to tell the truth about themselves. Living has taught me that. Soldier was undressing as she spoke. It was like I wasn't even standing there. So who is good enough to be your man? I don't really think of it like that. I look at it as when I meet the man for me, I'll know it. I'll feel it and he will too. But even when I feel it and know it, I'll wait and watch for a good while. But if you like GS, give it your best shot if that's what you really want. As she sat down on the round bed in her bra and panties under the dim light, my mind raced to figure out the riddle she was speaking in. She was like the kid around the block who you'd get all pumped up to fight. You'd take off your earrings and necklace, pull back your hair and vaseline your face. You'd give her your best punch and then she wouldn't hit you back. It just took the fun out of everything. So what's up with the digits? I asked on my way out of her bedroom door. What digits? Oh, I thought maybe you'd hook a girlfriend up with GS's phone number. Come on now. I'm nice, but I'm not stupid. If you want to hook up with GS, you have to work it out on your own. Between the two of you. The next afternoon, I worked on Lauren. I needed her to get in touch with Frankie. He would know how to hook me up with GS. I had thought about it, and the idea of going out on tour with him was getting me all worked up. I mean, I'm realistic. The nigga don't have to marry me straight off. We could just travel, spend his money, and enjoy our fame. The other chicks didn't matter as long as I controlled his pockets. Once I got on the road, I would be unstoppable. I'll be out of this prison, have access to the dough, and I'll be meeting real, not broke down ghetto chicks or chicks with turbans or philosophers of wannabes. I will learn the game, whatever the game was, because I was a fast learner. Right about now, I was giving GS the benefit of the doubt. Okay, I shouldn't have played up to him in this house when he couldn't act natural. I should have waited, set the scene in the mood but I was going to give him a second chance to make the smartest move of his life.
I don't want to talk to Frankie. I already told you that. That was Lauren's response to my pushing her. Come on, just do me a solid. Girl, you know I'd do it for you. I sensed that maybe she was reluctant to get GS's phone number from Frankie because of her sister. I tried to put Lauren at ease. Look, Soldier told me to go for mine with GS. No, she didn't, she said with disbelief. Yes, she did. Last night we was up talking. When? She never told me to go for mine with GS. Lauren's words were laced with jealousy. Whatever, Lauren. Look, are you going to do this or not? What makes you think Frankie's going to give me GS's number anyway, she asked me. If he's GS's bodyguard, he should be right there with him. He could just pass him the phone. All I need is five minutes. Five minutes, and I know I could persuade GS some things. All right, but Frankie is an asshole. He's on his own dick too hard, but I'll do it. Go in soldier's room and pick up her phone. I'll call him on this phone. You listen and write down the number if we can get him to give it to us. Lauren got Frankie on the phone. Frankie, what up, baby? Who this? This, Lauren. Lauren from New York or Lauren from Philly? Lauren with the chinky eyes and the sweet New York pussy. Aw, oh, shit. I know that's right. Damn, you miss a nigga already, huh? Well, you know how it be. What you got on right now? Nothing but a black leather belt around my waist to spank your badass with. Yeah. This my freak. Like to tie a nigga up and all that. So where are you headed? Lauren asked. North Carolina. We got a show there tonight. You should have called me yesterday. I'd have brought your ass with me. Where's GS at? What you ask for that nigga for? I'm not asking for him. Sounds like you was asking for him to me. Nah. She denied it. We on the tour bus. That nigga's in the plane riding first class. Oh. Well, where are y'all staying down in Kakalaki? Some of us will be at the Hyatt Regency. Some of us will be at the fucking Best Western. Ain't that right, dogs? Everybody started laughing. I could hear male voices in the background through the phone. Well, which hotel are you staying at? Why? You coming to see me? Don't surprise it, brother. Let me know. Maybe. Are you staying with GS? I asked him. There you go again. Tony, tell this little freak how much we hate bitches trying to use us to get to GS. Yo, this Tony. Why are you trying to play my man? Put Frankie back on the phone, Lauren said in an aggravated tone. Well, who do you want to talk to? Frankie or GS? Tony teased. I want to talk to Frankie. Are you sure? Frankie asked back on the phone. Make that little noise you was making the other night. Lauren started moaning on the phone. She sounded like a cross between a snake and an owl. 
but Frankie loved it. Now you remember who you with? Frankie asked. I was asking for a friend, Lauren said. Oh, dogs. She's asking about GS for her friend. They all started laughing wild. We could hear them loud and clear. Oh, so your friend want to get stretched out by GS. She got any friends? If we hook her up with G, she got to start the rest of us too. Or bring some freaks with her. I ran back into the bedroom to coach Lauren on what to say. Tell him to set up the meeting. We'll meet him down there, I told her. In North Carolina? Lauren asked me, whispering. Why not? I asked, rushing her to set it up. You got money to go to North Carolina? Lauren asked sarcastically. No, but I can get some. I'm going to see my mother today. She got some money for me. I lied. Yo, Lauren, is Shorty there with you? Frankie asked. Yeah, it's Sasha. You know her from the party the other night at GS's house. Oh, uh, the one who won the pageant, Frankie guessed. What's he saying? What is he saying? I asked Lauren. She didn't answer, so I ran back to soldier room and picked up the other phone. Lauren, between you and me, if she's feeding her for the dick, it's Tony she should be talking to. He's the one who fucked her. Ain't that right, dog? Who that? Tony's voice asked from the distance. You remember that little freak we played Switch with the other night out at the Alpine video shoot? Do I remember? Tell that bitch I love her. Lauren dropped the phone. Within a second, she was standing in the soldier's room looking in my face, feeling sorry for me. I held the phone in my ear, frozen in position. Yeah, baby, this is Tony. I know you thought I was GS. But the good news is now I don't have to explain to you what good dick you could have been missing. Fuck that nigga G. What you need to do is come get with me. They all laughed at this cheap rhyme. You lying motherfucker, I screamed on him. Alright then. When you came in the room, I was on the bed waiting in the dark. You couldn't even find the light. You started knocking shit over. You tried to suck a sip out of my crystal bottle, but I had already drank it all. But here's the hook. You got long pretty legs, big titties like cantaloupes, a small tight waist, and you love to go horseback riding. They all started cracking up. I love you. I love you, girl. Let's do it again. Vendetta is the word. Except it isn't strong enough. That afternoon, while Lauren worked in Doc's office, I sat and talked with her. That conversation cost her $300. Because that's how much I lifted from Doc's strongbox without Lauren even knowing it. Seems like everybody around here got something to prove. But these bitches was not going to outsmart Winter Santiago. The next day was the AIDS benefit. I had forgotten all about that bullshit. My nerves were shot. I promised myself I wouldn't sit through one more meeting or speech. Nada. But the pressure was on. Soldier was bossing everybody around. Rehearsing Lauren on how to place the volunteers, security, etc., etc. Dressed in red and white, the colors for all workers from the womanhood class, me, Lauren, and Soldier on our way out the door. Doc's voice stopped us. 
Soldier, I I'm sorry. I, I can't make it to the benefit. Not having a secretary has left me in a bad position. Soldier looked disappointed. But here's a check for $1,000 to support the wonderful work that you're doing. Soldier gave her a hug and a kiss. I'm thinking, see, it ain't no sweat for her to just throw away $1,000. One more thing, Doc said. I need Lauren's help today. I know how much you need her, but right now I don't have anybody else. Now after Doc gave her $1,000, what could Soldier say? Lauren turned on the heels of her cheap shoes and went back into the house. Well, you've been around for months, Soldier said to me. You know how important this benefit is to me. I'll need your help today. Do you think you can handle it? At the church, Soldier went into the back with the important people. At 5 p.m., hundreds of ticket buyers started to file in one by one. By 6, the crowd was so big they had to open the second balcony. Girls from the womanhood class in red skirts and white blouses stood against the wall every couple of feet. They were ushers and security. More girls lined the wall on the now-packed balcony. Up on stage, Soldier was seated at a long table with doctors, dignitaries, and other stuffed shirts. And among all this bulging crowd, in their haste, they somehow left me at one of the three doors to collect money. I was amazed at this crowd of people I had never seen. Ladies with big church hats, men in suits with brims, bobos, and benzes. Even the young people had on suits and dresses. No sneakers to be found, not even a pair of baggy jeans. And definitely no hats. There was an old man who stood at the entrance and reminded each boy to remove his hat. More surprising, however, was the flow of $20 bills piling up in my basket as I sat behind the table collecting on one side and two other girls, one of whom was Rashida, sat behind the table on the other side. I began to separate the ones, fives, tens, and twenties and turned all the dollar bills in the right direction the way Daddy showed me to do. When the preacher said, Let's bow our heads and pray, everybody bowed. I gently grabbed a stack of 20s, 10s, and 5s. I wasn't greedy. I left at least half in the basket. It was only a two-step motion dropping the bill into my red coach bag, the one I had purchased to match G.S.'s Jeep. When heads raised from that prayer, I was my calm, courteous self. I resumed taking funds from the latecomers and stragglers. Setting myself up for a flawless getaway, I told Rashida, who was always right for the sucker role, that I had a terrible stomach ache. To gain her complete trust, I asked her to hold my money basket while I went into the bathroom. The bathroom was situated in the back of the church by the stage. I walked slowly and confidently to the back, checking on the ushers like I was the manager or something. It was so easy to give them orders and watch them follow. Just a little bit of authority in my voice and I had them all jumping. In the bathroom, overly helpful ladies chatted with each other. What a lovely church. Are you a member? No. I am. Yes, our pastor's the best. How do you like our stained glass windows? Aren't they beautiful? This place sure is huge, isn't it? Yes. It seats at least 1,500 people. 
1,500 people sounded the loudest in my ear as I stood behind the door counting my new riches. $15 a person times 1,500 people? Without paper, I calculated $22,500. of them were in my bag. My heart started to beat fast. The small space on the toilet seemed to get even smaller. My scalp busted a sweat. A couple of deep breaths and I was okay. Hell, aren't the benefits of raise money for those who need it? Why do people with AIDS need the money when they were just going to die anyway? I rolled the money up and placed it in rubber bands that I usually use for my hair. In my boldness, I walked to the front of the elevated stage. As soon as Soldier spotted me, she leaned over and asked, What's the matter? Are you okay? In my baby voice, the one I watched Lauren use so effectively, I said, My stomach is going crazy. I just threw up in the bathroom and my mouth tastes so nasty. I'm so sorry. With a face full of concern, she responded, You've done a lot to help out. I have a check for you for all the work you've done for me when Lauren wasn't around. Just then, a young, suited man was at the podium introducing Soldier. Go to the house, she said. I have some baking soda, kale pectate, and Pepto-Bismol upstairs in the medicine cabinet. Whichever you prefer. Lay down for a while. You'll feel better soon. In an unusual mood, she planted a kiss on my cheek. As I looked up at her in surprise, she smiled and said, In all the commotion, I forgot to tell you that I spoke to Bilal this morning. Who? Bilal, midnight, she repeated. Your cousin. Gagging for air and holding my stomach, I said, Oh, midnight. We'll talk. She shouted over the crowd's applause. She gestured goodbye with her hand, then stepped to the podium. A track star couldn't have been faster than me. My legs were carrying my body swiftly towards a house that was little more than a few blocks away. I rang the bell. It took about five minutes for Lauren to answer the door. Even though I had my poker face on, my forehead was sweating too much for a winter afternoon. What's wrong? She asked. How'd it go? It can't be over so soon. No, it just got started. Then what are you doing here? I got some serious stomach pains out of nowhere. Did you tell Soldier you were leaving the church? Yeah, we talked. She sent me home to get some medicine. She said I should get it from upstairs in the medicine cabinet. Do you want to see Doc? No. I'm just going to take some of the kale pectate and head back to the church to help out. Oh, she said suspiciously. Upstairs, I ran in the soldier's bedroom. I took the key off her jewelry box, which was right on top of her cluttered dresser. Opened the file cabinet and flipped feverishly through the files. I had to check each one for the first name, Bilal. I didn't know his last name. Finally, I got to Bilal O'Day. I grabbed the folder. I snatched the New York Times off Soldier's bed and placed the folder and all its contents in between the pages to conceal it. In Lauren's room, I grabbed my empty Nike luggage bag and placed everything inside it that absolutely cannot be left here. I surveyed Lauren's dress for my belongings, saw my beeper and threw it in the Nike bag. Out of nervousness, I checked my red coach bag again. 
No problem. My money was still there. I grabbed a roll of 20s, peeled off two of them, and slid them into my red leather jacket pocket for easy access. I opened the small drawer on my bureau and collected my diamond necklace, my bracelet, and my earrings. I put them into my red bag. My lipstick, hair comb, brush, and of course, my box cutter were the last to go in. I double-checked everything. With my hands full, I stepped lightly down the five flights of stairs. I was so excited to be leaving this place forever. Panic racked my body when I hit the landing approaching the last flight of stairs. I was staring down at Lauren, who was standing at the front door, paying what appeared to be a delivery man. There must have been 20 medium-sized boxes covering the foyer floor. Are you going somewhere? Lauren asked. Yeah, back to the church. Without saying anything, Lauren's eyes dropped down in my Nike bag. Oh, yeah. I didn't get a chance to see my mother yesterday. She was pretty upset, so I'm going to see her right after the benefit finishes. Oh, she said suspiciously. Well, can you help me out with these boxes before you leave? They're Doc's medical supplies. With my hands full, I looked at all 20 or so boxes. I was hoping when Lauren saw in my face I really didn't want to do it, she would say never mind. But she didn't. I was leery about acting different than normal, so I agreed to help. Come on, put all that stuff down. Four hands will be better than two. I kept checking the clock as we moved the boxes a short distance from the foyer through the big wooden doors into the office. The final destination was the supply closet. No matter what, I kept sweating. Even my palms were sweating now. My heart was pounding so fast I swore Lauren could hear it. I reassured myself I was being ridiculous. As soon as we finished, I picked up all my stuff. As casually as I could, I said, All right, Lauren. I'll see you either late tonight or tomorrow morning. Sure, thanks, she said. See you. Outside, the cab driver asked, Where are you headed to? For seconds, nothing would come out of my mouth. I didn't know. To a hotel, I finally said. What hotel? The Marriott in New Jersey, right over the bridge and off the highway. In Jersey? He repeated. That's going to cost you $35. No problem. But he still didn't move the cab. I reached into my pocket and gave him one of my 20s to get him to start driving. As I looked to my right, I saw Lauren's face disappear as a window curtain being held by her hand dropped into place. We pulled off. When I opened that file tucked inside the New York Times, the first thing that fell out were old newspaper clippings. The first article I picked up had a picture of my father in our house in Long Island. The second paragraph mentioned me by name as well as my mother. Fucking bitch, soldier. I mumbled. She knew who I was all along. But the fact of the matter is, I got the last laugh. She would never be able to prove I took that money. She has too many people collecting it and no system to account for who had what. As I checked further into the file, there were letters in open envelopes and loose papers. Some letters were from Midnight to Soldier. The papers were copies of letters from Soldier to Midnight. There'll be no more secrets. I was going to look through everything and read every word. Most importantly, 
I would soon discover, I hoped, where Midnight lays its head at night. We need a major credit card to secure your registration, ma'am, the lady at the desk said. You don't take cash? Yes. If you'd like to pay cash, that'll be fine. It'll be $200 for the room and a $20 refundable deposit for the phone. Happy to shut the snotty receptionist up, I unzipped the coach bag and reached in for my roll of 20s. Instead, I pulled out two bottles of wet and wild lip gloss and a half-eaten chocolate chip cookie. I stood staring at my own hand as if I had six fingers. The picture frame froze. Lauren, described by her sister as the trickster, had switched her red leather coach bag with mine. As I squatted down to check the bag, not because I had hopes that it was mine, but out of disbelief, I flipped it over and emptied its contents onto the hotel carpet. There was nothing of value in the bag. The inside stunk from the odor of the two bottles of rubbing alcohol she had in there. She must have thrown those in at the last moment so I wouldn't notice the weight change. As every muscle in my body collapsed from the sheer stress of the situation, my butt hit the floor. The voice of the hotel woman was flying over the counter and dropping down onto my ears. Excuse me, miss. Do you want the room? I'll be back, I called to her. I used my hand to sweep all the junk except for the crumbs back into the bag. I walked away in slow motion, lifting my Nike bag off the bellhop's trolley. Here's the funny part. First of all, one funny thing. First funny thing. Okay. She doesn't even know what Midnight's name was. This whole time she's been calling her mid calling him Midnight. And his name's not Midnight. Like that's a nickname. You don't even know the dude's real name. You walk around, do you know my cousin Midnight? Do you know my cousin Midnight? Secondly, it turns out Sister Soldier has a whole file. Of course she has a whole file. And the file about Bilal, Bilal's going to tell her about you and about Ricky and about your mama and about the drug situation and how he doesn't like being in a drug situation. And then she's going to see pictures and she's going to read the newspaper and she's going to realize that's you. You played yourself from the gate. They knew who you were. And on top of all that, Bilal probably told her in some passing way about how childish you are and how manipulative you think you are and how much growing up you had to do. Folks were, for, were, were checking for you from the gate. That's hilarious. Lauren was checking for you from the gate. Like, I don't know if she switched the bag out because she thought you were heisting shit, but you didn't seem very subtle. Like you thought you were subtle. But she played you for a straight sucker. Lauren's the hero. She's the MVP of this situation because you robbed a AIDS benefit, my nigga. Let's be honest about this. You robbed people who need because you thought you had need while you were sitting in a cushy place where they weren't going to put you out and they were actually going to pay you for it. Sister Soldier said, I have a check for you at the house for all the work you did. Now, here's the question. If she had played her role and kept helping out the uh, benefit and they went back to the house. Would the check have said Winter Santiago? Or would the check have said Sasha so then she would have had to say I can't cash this because it's not my real name. 
Either way, I feel like it would have been a trap. So then Winter would have had to tell Soldier what her real name was and there would have been a dialogue and all that kind of stuff. But you played yourself. And also, Tony's out of pocket. That's fucked up. I hope Karma comes back and fucks him up bad. Frankie's out of pocket for knowing what happened. That was all bad. But like I said, it felt like a setup from the gate. It still doesn't make it right. They preyed on those girls. Even Frankie preyed on Lauren in order to um, for Lauren to get access to what she was looking for. That ain't cool. At all. And me laughing at winter ain't gonna change that fact. Also, um, Soldier was talking about how she checks to see how men act because some of them might be bisexual. I didn't know if that was a tale. I didn't. I mean, I don't know. It's the 90s. I'm sure that things were a lot less intelligently spoken back then, but yeah, I didn't know that. But mostly, yeah, Winter, you're now stuck in Jersey without any way to get back to the house. At least you could have taken a uh, cab back to the house the next day and been like, I saw my mom, she's good. Why the fuck you take my bag? But now your bag is in Lauren's hands. Lauren is going through your bag. Lauren has found the money from the benefit. Did you put the $300 from um, Doc's petty cash in there? Like you robbed Doc. Yeah, you fucked all the way up. Chapter 16 is going to be very interesting. Let me know what y'all think. Uh, go ahead and send a voicemail to 916-633-1537. Uh, you can DM me at Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, or you can send an email to wretchedandratchet at gmail.com. Thank you all again for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, y'all have a great day. Be good. Peace. Oh, snap. Shit. Sorry. Nope. Not yet. Leave a review. Um, wherever you listen to the podcast at, I really appreciate it. We're trying to get our numbers up. Um, and the only way that we can really do that is by folks leaving reviews um, for the podcast and letting other folks know what they think about the podcast. So if you would do that, I would be so appreciative. Like, seriously, every single review is just above and beyond. Um, again, thank y'all so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all have a wonderful day. Be good. Peace. and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know by now that you say